Identity is the crisis. When I was a young man, a great anger and non-conformity arose in music. The punk revolution tried to break the system it had been contained by and reinvent music in one sweep. Bands had the temerity to sing about police brutality, state control and of course the insidious practices of the music business. We marked ourselves out with ripped clothing held together with safety pins as opposed to a nice Harris tweed jacket or with our hair, yes I had some in those days, spiked up with sugared water or with our girlfriend's can of hairspray rather than a nice smart buzz cut. Fashion has always been the fight against conformity. Dress as a hippie or a new romantic. Wear two-toned zoot suits. Be a rocker or a mod. Perhaps you're into a disco with glittering boob tubes. Whatever the case, from the 60s to the 80s, it was possible to have a pretty good guess at what a person was telling you about themselves just by the way they dressed. When the rave generation came along, the use of club drugs became more prevalent. It's difficult to decide if, if speed garage music was built on a proliferation of speed the drug or if the rave scene owed everything to the burgeoning ecstasy market. Were you a dopehead or a cokehead? Drug preferences marked people's lifestyle choices too. Across culture from the 80s to the turn of the century, young people defined themselves through clubbing, clubbing, partying, shoegazing or dressing in an emo style. It was still simple to classify us by finding the drug of choice, the festival of choice or through our clothes again. Latterly, people have begun changing themselves physically. The tattoo revolution being a perfect example. Clothing being an old hat way to express yourself, let's ramp up the level of commitment a notch further. This is a statement of who I am carved right into my body. My daughter is a tattoo artist of note. I used to ask her what her latest projects were. One day she told me about a friend who'd had a herring tattooed onto the length of his shin. I inquired if he was a fisherman. She laughed at my daft notion and told me that it was just art. I rather cruelly replied, ah yes, tattoo yourself interesting. That's how it felt to me. Don't get me wrong. As you probably know, I have two tattoos myself. An Om symbol and a character Dao or the path. I had these done long before my daughter took up art. Took up the art. They were my commitment to my journey of self-development. And were only done after long periods of contemplation. They were spiritual stamps as opposed to art. Hey, maybe I'm just kidding myself. Perhaps I was tattooing myself interesting too. But it didn't feel that way. I felt that they had power and significance. When I had my first tattoo done, it was in a shady back street shop in Streatham, South London. As the artist got down to work, puncturing my skin with a needle, we talked about life and the spiritual journey. That's when he said to me, I'm a recovering heroin addict. <laughs> that shook me, and all the tropes about needles in skin and the dirty needles flooded through my mind. 
I think he must have seen me flinch. That aside, I was in a chair next to a boy who looked to be about 12 years old, a weedy young lad. He was biting his hand to stop himself from screaming and tears flooded down his cheeks. He'd chosen to have a massive British bulldog all over his tiny, skinny thigh. I guess he was trying to cultivate the hard man look of the 1980s. No doubt hoping to get into the major leagues of drug dealing on his local council estate. More recently, we've started to up the game again. It's not for me to discuss the rights and wrongs of gender politics and how deeply entwined that is with social media. It's only for me to comment here that rather than marking our bodies physically with ink, the new territory for battle is the very identity of our sexuality. It's clear that genetically people seem to be born into the wrong body from time to time, something that can be corrected to an extent these days. The fluidity around gender is as confusing as the feelings each individual has during their lives. And it's a multifaceted conversation based on the millions of different physical and chemical makeups that there are in 8 billion people. I was told a story recently about a young eight-year-old boy here in Bath who came home to ask his parents if he would develop a vagina before his ninth birthday. Clearly he'd misunderstood what was being taught to him. But what hope do we old people have? It's your choice to identify as they or them if you wish. The footer of people's emails often lists the pronouns they feel happiest with. Jeremy College, he, him. I saw a recently knighted author quip, I'd like to identify as Sir from now on. But it interests me that so many people need a diagnosis these days. When I was young, there were a lot of odd and eccentric people knocking about in our lives. Every help body had an eccentric auntie or uncle. I remember being invited to stay at a friend's house, but being warned not to laugh at Grandpa who used to wear tea cosies on his head rather than a hat. An eminently sensible way to keep one's head warm, I thought. It was odd, however, to see a handle and a spout protruding from where his ears should be. Hey-ho. The family had decided that if they couldn't deter Grandpa, then they might as well celebrate him. So every birthday, he received a few new tea cosies to add to his collection. When I met him, he was wearing a rather fetching hen on his head. For me, the long line from rock to punk, from ripped clothes to tattoos, from heroin to ecstasy, from normality to difference, leads and feeds directly into gender fluidity. How on earth is one of eight billion supposed to stand out in a crowd? Smoking used to mark you out as being a cool person, drinking as a bon vivant, dope as a friendly hippie, something new is needed. In order to be different, you need to be marked as neurodivergent. Essentially, this is saying to the world at large, my brain functions in a very different way to yours. Well, when I was young, we just accepted that people were different. We didn't need a badge to tell us that. It's also fair to say that, more often than not, we probably didn't behave as well towards different people. That, however, is a matter for training and education in society at large, rather than a badge for an individual. 
There's no question that billions of different chemical makeups in millions of different epigenetic environments will produce many people, and always have, who felt, feel differently about themselves. Why shouldn't they develop a new set of pronouns to define how they feel? I would just say that from the Knights of the Middle Ages, through the court of Louis the Sun King, to the flappers of the 1920s, the rockers of the 50s, the punks of the 70s, to today's gender-bending ideas, that it's always been about the ego. It's always been about the desire to be different. We've had many eras when conforming was the norm, and difference went punished and just as many eras where difference is celebrated rather than pulled down. This is just a function of the ego flipping back and forth. We always seek to make our own way in the world. We're always trying to carve out our own niche. What happens when one builds a towering edifice and then discovers one's taken the wrong path? What happens when you align yourself wholeheartedly with the Nazi party, honestly believing that although Hitler is a little too fervent for you, but that Germany is really improving? What happens when you start telling your friends what an amazing person Chairman Mao is and that his new party will change everything for the better? What happens when you finally discover that the person you were backing all the way has turned out to be a nut job? When you finally discover that the person whose ideals you'd been espousing has turned out to be a mass murderer and a child killer? There are so many historical examples of people being plunged into deep depression. It's no different these days. All the stories you've been sold, all the movements you have joined, so often seem to turn out to not be what you'd hoped and believed. On one side of the world, there's a huge percentage of the population wondering how they ever fell for socialism and communism. And on the other side of the world, vast swaths of people look at democracy as a failed experiment and wonder at the greed it's engendered and the cost to the whole. Straight or gay, man or woman, black or white, Republican or Democrat, young or old, we are all slowly awakening to the con. When we finally spot it for what it is, we tend to become disillusioned, disaffected and depressed. Depression is really a sickness of the ego. When you realise that you can no longer support the image of yourself that you have created. And you can no longer carry this. There's only one cure for this disease, and that is to wake up from the illusion. My colleague John and I had an interesting experience. We decided to film a new exercise course to teach online students how to do the body-mind form of Zheneng Qigong. John found a studio in Suffolk that was gloriously painted white, nothing but white, white lights, curved white walls, so no corners, white floors. I'm sure it'd be great for shooting your latest Mercedes car or perhaps a stunning piece of couture. For me, it was frankly disorientating, just white everywhere. 
and very little to use as a point of reference. You'll see in that video, when I did the standing on one leg exercise, I was wobbling everywhere. It, however, also provides a great point of reference for working with one of Muji's guided contemplations. He says, imagine yourself in a white box. Tick, I can do that. Put down all of your connections to your family. Put down all the connections to your religion, to your society, to your health or illness, to your children and to your loved ones. Just for a moment, imagine letting it all go. I paraphrase him and do no justice at all, but this is his premise. Be in this space, let go of everything that defines you. When finally we divest ourselves of everything, then what is left? It can only be your true self, the most perfect version of you. No time, no space, just a perfect, pure you. Then answer these questions. Does what's left have any form? Does what's left have any boundaries? Can it become depressed or addicted to anything? Can it be ill? Can it take sides with anyone? Does it have any desires? Can this pure you die? Was this pure you even born? Can what we call mind exist outside of this? We find over time that with this practice that being in the true self state lends an understanding to our reality. When you finally see reality for the illusion that it is, it's easy then not to conclude that one's life it's easy then to conclude that one's life could be created in a different way. That illness need no longer be with us. We can reinvent the illusion to suit ourselves. The biggest illnesses of the 21st century are created by trying to support massive, tiring egos that want to be heard. How do you think we got social media? Shout from the rooftops about how wonderful and different you are. But realise that the truth of you is very different to that. And that what you are doing will come tumbling down one day. But don't worry, I'm here to catch you when you fall. With all my love. I just thought I'd add an honest note about my own personal development. I know what it is. I know where it is. I know what I need to do to get there. When the time is right, I'll pull the trigger and get on with dissolving. In the meantime, I visit this part of me regularly and rest in this state often. I still feel I have one last project that needs resolving. Then I'll see you out in the expanse.